1: I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Cara Falling Fallingstar, author of Broth from the Cauldron, A Wisdom Journey Through Everyday Magic. I'm speaking with Kara at her home by remote connection. Welcome Kara to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thanks so much, Justine. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. You know, you describe yourself as a Wiccan priestess. There are many, many misconceptions about this spiritual practice. In fact, in times past, Wiccan priestesses have been persecuted in the U.S., Europe, and the British Isles. I'd love for you to help us understand some of the major beliefs of Wicca and Is this form of spirituality alive and practiced today?
2: Yes, indeed.
1: Actually, witchcraft is the fastest growing religion in the United States,
2: apparently, which is kind of amazing. Um, It was so small when I got involved almost 50 years ago, but it's really gotten quite large now. Modern Wicca is a reconstruction of how we think our ancestors might have practiced because so much of our ancestral practice was wiped out during the burning times where they were, you know, burning anyone suspected of doing the old pagan practices. Uh, But it's very similar to Native American or Native African traditions. There's the four elements. There's the belief that all life is interconnected and that what you do in one place can affect something somewhere else. It's basically a, a shamanic tradition, very similar to earth religions all over the world.
1: You use the word "magic" in your uh, title of your book, "A Wisdom Journey Through Everyday Magic." What do you mean by magic? I
2: like the definition of magic as the art of changing
1: consciousness at will. that that's
2: when we are working to shift our consciousness, we enter into the world of magic. Uh, but the rest of the world, you know, the animals, the plants, the rocks, and even the elements, are all alive and conscious with us. And when we can move more onto their wavelength, then we start to have magic happening through us and around us in ways that we may consider very mysterious and amazing. But a lot of it is simply opening yourself to nature and to hearing what nature is telling you and to aligning yourself uh, with that.
1: I love that opening ourselves to nature. I'm thinking Like even rocks in your practice have consciousness. And I'm thinking of all the times that we might have a favorite rock that we sit on to even meditate or to ground ourselves. Many of us do this. How about rocks?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a a favorite rock that's called greenstone that I got in New Zealand. It's a type of jade. I found it on a beach and it was very smooth. And uh, when I talked to some of the Maori people there, they said, oh, they thought that it had been worked, you know, not just by the water, but by human hands at some point. And I very quickly uh, found that it was a healing stone, that if I placed it on my body, I felt much more calm and peaceful. And so I actually sleep with it. You know, it's a little rock that fits in my
1: hand and I sleep with it. So many of us have that kind of touchstone that we use in our meditation or to help us or we wear as a piece of jewelry even. Right, right. Crystals, you know, they can be very grounding,
2: you know, depending on the the type of rock. It can be very earthing and grounding. Some of them have some pretty intense healing qualities, some spiritual qualities, some will I think, open up people's chakras, various chakras. There's a whole science of matching stones to chakras, you know, if you want to uh, heal or open more to various energy centers in your body. It's a fun tool to play with, for sure.
1: I'd love for you to tell us, Keradwin, a little of your journey, how you came to be a Wiccan priestess.
2: (laughs) It was definitely a, trip in another direction. I grew up, uh, you know, a very scientific household, uh, which was completely non-religious, where religious people were just thought of as being, well, basically stupid. And he certainly wouldn't want to be stupid like that. Uh, However, I also had all sorts of past life memories from when I was very small and I was very psychic and knew when people were going to die and what sex the babies were going to be when women were pregnant. You know, I just could see all this stuff. And so when I was 22, I was working for a feminist newspaper and my editor came in and said well there's a witch on trial for fortune telling and I was like I'll take that story this was 1975 in Los Angeles and a witch named Z Budapest had been put on trial for fortune telling so um, I went and you know afterwards at a fundraiser for her I came up to her and said so do you people believe in past lives and she said of course and I said oh fine sign me up (laughs) you know this this is obviously something I need to uh, learn more about and and, yeah, I've, uh, you know, it's precisely why I've fallen into witchcraft is because all these remarkable, impossible things kept happening around me and through me. And so it's like, well, I've got to climb out of the empirical playpen and just see what's up over here and find out what else is going on in life. And
1: you mentioned briefly Susanna budapest and she was here in california at some point and had done some amazing things to bring wicca into our consciousness is am i getting that right
2: yes yes she uh, wrote the the feminist what is it the feminist book of lights and shadows i think was her first book she's written several several books uh, she she practices the dianic tradition which is all female um, so she very much brought that to light and was one of the early people, you know, she and I and uh, Alison Harlow and Otter and Morning Glory and a number of other people then created an umbrella organization for witches and uh, and that made witchcraft legal and made the practice of it a legal ministerial tradition.
1: I have to confess that I knew both Otter and Morning Glory when I lived in Mendocino County. And had participated in some of their rituals, which were very, very powerful for me. So I I just want to say that out loud. And also, I know you write about this in your book, Broth from the Cauldron, where constantly as human beings searching for certainty or perfection or, or something like that. And you mentioned how looking for something that is certain It's kind of like looking for something that's static and unchanging. And then you describe that as, well, if you find that it's actually dead, it's no longer flowing.
2: Yes, yes. You know, one of the things you notice when you when you begin focusing your attention on nature is that it's always changing and shifting. Now, sometimes in somewhat predictable manners, like we have the wheel of the year, right? You have spring, summer, fall, winter. Granted, they don't look like they did just a few years ago, because now we've interfered with the natural balance and you're getting some very weird things going on. But you you see that everything shifts and everything changes. And we, you know, we often have a fear of change. Our culture wants that certainty. And that's one of the things that happened when we started reading books and writing books is then people thought, oh, well, it's written. It is written. And so it, it is written. And, and it cannot be questioned, and it must be true. And there's this way that our brain latches onto that as a solid fact. We can't change what is written. And this is the problem, I think, with trying to get all your information from books instead of walking outside and sort of looking at what the moon is doing and noticing if the owls are out that night that you're, you're not paying attention to the flow of things. And witchcraft is all about learning how to move with the flow. It comes from the root word for willow. And the willow moves and bends with the wind. It it flows with the wind. And that way it doesn't break very easily. The willow can survive storms that will take down many other trees. So that's where the word witch comes from. And the idea is that you bend and move like the willow, that energy doesn't move in a straight line from A to Z, that like the lightning, how it comes down in that jagged way or how a river goes around the rocks. You know, they sometimes call witchcraft the twisted path, not because there's something evil or wrong about it, but because nature energy moves in that way. It circumvents the things in the way and takes the easiest path. So that's sort of our goal is to be able to harmonize ourselves with that flow of energy.
1: Kara you have brought out the word witch as reclaiming it Yes, I've known many people who didn't want to use the
2: word witch, you know, women in particular would be like, well, let's just, let's just use, uh, we'll say we have a women's group, we don't want to call it a coven, you know, because they get nervous about those terms. But I think in the same way that black people reclaimed the word black and said, no, this doesn't mean evil. It's how we're going to talk about ourselves and how uh, lesbians might call themselves dykes and say, yeah, you can't scare us with that word. Yeah, I'm a dyke. You want to make something of it? It's that kind of, uh, you know, saying, yes, I'll reclaim that word. I'm not going to let you use that word to scare me anymore. And so when we take that word, which we are saying, I identify with a lineage of powerful women, Uh, another word that women often afraid of is crone, meaning an older woman, the the older aspect of the goddess. And uh, when I was teaching a a workshop, which I was originally calling uh, Reclaiming the Crone, And women did not want to go to that workshop. I had to change the name to Continuing Saga. A saga is the female sage. You know, that's where that word comes from. (laughs) Because saga, people were good with, but crone, it was a hard sell. And they really had to get into the class a little deeper before they could see the wisdom of reclaiming the crone. Again, not being afraid of that word which just comes from chronos meaning time. It just means you've spent a lot of time here on the planet. Um, not being afraid of that word and saying, yeah, this is, again, it's the most powerful of all the goddess aspects. It's the most powerful time in your life where you've, you have your wisdom that you've acquired throughout your life, if you've been working on it. And now you can share it. Now
1: you can help pass it on. It's a, it's a beautiful time. Wonderful, wonderful. We were talking about Z Budapest earlier and her circles were all female, but in your practice, you also include men. Yes, yes. I'm happy with all
2: women's circles. For many years I taught a year-long class. Sometimes it was all women and sometimes it was mixed. Both of them were beautiful in different ways, you know. So I I love all women's space is a beautiful thing. And I love the energy that men bring. Men often bring a lot of solidity and grounding into a circle. A a circle that's mixed will tend to be more grounded. And it's just very beautiful how when men are bringing in the energy of the God, you know, because men need that just as much as women need the goddess. Men need a God that is a healthy, wholesome energy. And, you know, in one of my stories in my book as you probably remember I talk about, you know, the male stag and how he protects his herd and how brave they are. You know, uh, one of our images of the god is the horned god, and he doesn't have the horns because he's a devil. He has the horns because he's the great stag, and they admired that stag because they saw how he protected the herd, and that that was how then the men could see themselves also as protecting the women and children, and you know that that was their power was power to protect and to nurture, and that's what we need to bring back is for men to embrace that uh, that power to
1: protect and to nurture. I think I remember a story in your book about an elk when you were out uh, on the coast of Northern California that you followed. Yes, yes. My husband and I were out hiking in Point Reyes,
2: and there's a bunch of tule elk out there, and we saw a herd of them. And the male, you know, there's usually one big male who's got his haram of does and, you know, sauce, and he ran down onto the path in front of us. And started leading us away from his herd. You know, like he was moving slowly, pretending to be an easy catch. And every so often, he'd look behind him to make sure we were still following him. And he, we were headed in that direction anyway, <laughs> so we played along and we followed him down the path. And when he, we were far enough from the herd, then he jumped off the path and ran back to them. And when he got there, all the females nuzzled him and fawned over him, and he looked very proud of himself that he had distracted these humans away from his herd, and it. It just made me think, yeah, that's the sacred masculine right there where it's just, you know, willing to risk itself to protect. And that's a, such a beautiful thing to see. And it's a beautiful thing to see when you see men doing that. You know, my, my son is now the father of little four-year-old twin girls and he's such a wonderful dad. And yeah, that nurturing, protective energy comes so naturally to him. And that's such a beautiful thing uh, when you see that.
1: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. You write about how... Evil actions can crop up when people feel powerless, and I just thought that that was such a provocative and important statement. That's just something
2: I've observed over time. Is you know people think that evil comes from power, but it really comes from a feeling of powerlessness. It's when people feel disempowered, uh, then they they want to experience their power sometimes by harming others. When people don't have the power to love they go for the easier power, which is to hurt. You know, anyone can hurt someone. A child can knock another kid on the head with a block, right? It doesn't take a lot. So people go to that, to uh, what they can do. And when people don't feel like they can manifest love, then they manifest rage and they harm others. So even though that person may be in a position of power, obviously they're more dangerous when you, know, you have someone, for instance, like Donald Trump in a position of power. Well, That's a very dangerous situation because this is a very wounded person who doesn't know how to love and he is going to create harm. You can bank on it. So it's interesting to at least have that compassion, that compassionate sense. Uh, There was a case where this little girl was murdered, you know, a number of years ago and it was right in Petaluma, you know, and she was the same age as my son at the time. It was just a heartbreaking thing for everyone. I think that was a poly class. Poly class. Yes. I happened to be in a hotel, you know, going somewhere to a conference or something like that. I don't normally watch television, but I had the TV on and I saw her killer on the news and I saw him as a five-year-old boy, as a little boy whose arm had been broken by his stepfather. I saw him as that wounded child. I didn't want to feel compassionate for him. I wanted to keep hating him. But in that moment, I was like, oh God, he's only five years old, you know, that he was stuck. In that place of an abused child, and he didn't know how to do anything other than pass it on. I'm not excusing that behavior by any stretch of the imagination. Of course it can't be excused, but you can see it you know if your heart's open, you're just going to see how, how damaged the people are who do those things. You know It's like that, "I am Oz the great and Terrible," you know but behind the curtain there's a scared kid.
1: You know, I was a very scared kid. I know that you describe yourself rather than as a teacher. As a river guide, I'd love to go out with something about that and what you feel about teaching in that way and how we can find good teachers. Well, I certainly
2: am a teacher. What I say I'm not is I'm not a guru. Um, I say I'm more like a river guide where, you know, I know the stretch of the river really well. I don't own the river. You can get down the river without me. But if you come with me, you'll spend more time in the boat having fun and less time in the water drowning you know, because I know this stretch of the river, but it doesn't mean, you know, like I've done a lot of river rafting and I had one particular guy that I used to go with a lot. On the river, I did everything he told me. I knew he knew everything about that river. Off the river, I didn't fall down and worship him and say, oh my God, you know everything. He knew everything about the river. He didn't know everything. So it's just having that separation. And so being careful, you know, sometimes again, you get those wounded people positioning themselves as, as gurus and telling you, that you have to give them a whole lot of money, that you have to not question them, uh, you know, that you have to do everything they say, that you have to stop being present with all the people you love who aren't part of this group. You know, these are the things to watch out for, you know, find out what the tricks of that community are and be careful, you know, and and then work with the people who have a sense of humor, who don't position themselves as being perfect and all-knowing. And then accept that, yes, they're goofy humans like you. But they may be a goofy human who has something to teach you. And again, it doesn't mean you worship their every utterance.
1: Oh, I want to thank you so much for being with us today on the New Dimensions Cafe, Kara Dwin. Well, thank you so much for having me, Justine.
2: It has been such a pleasure to work with you.
1: Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Kara Dwin Fallingstar, author of. Broth from the Cauldron, A Wisdom Journey Through Everyday Magic. And I've been speaking with Cara Duin at her home by remote connection. To find out more about her work, go to her website, theheartofthefire.com. That's theheartofthefire.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you to please join us again.
0: You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at